What's up, guys? We're going to choose podcast. My name is Solomon Elite at Solomon Elite NBA on Twitter. Here, joined by Adam Sporlane of Sports Radio 610. Adam, how you doing? I'm good. I'm really good. So the Houston Rockets, a professional basketball team, have lost 12 NBA games in a row. Uh, we are just an hour out of the game. They just lost to the Grizzlies by 34 points. Ridiculous box score. Just ridiculous box score. The game really got away from them in the first quarter. Never really thought they had a chance to come back after that. And it's been like that for about four games now, where like the game will get away from them for in the first quarter, and they never really come back. Like they, they were competitive, they were competitive against the Suns in that first half. I'll give them that. But after that, it really wasn't a game, and. I, I just when I watch them, I don't feel anything. I don't I don't know what they're trying to do. I don't think they have any sort of cohesion on the offensive end. Uh, defensively, defensively, we always knew they're going to be terrible, right? Like they're they're super young, and this is a second year head coach. We always knew they were going to be terrible on the defensive end. Offensively, they just there's just no structure there. And I guess the goal today for this podcast is kind of talk about what happens now. Twelve game losing streak. This is when stuff starts to really get crazy in the NBA. No matter how much you may think, you know, things should stay the same or things should go in a certain direction, like this this is part this is the part of the NBA schedule where like things get crazy and it's really hard to predict what happens next. So I I guess my first question for you is what doesn't happen next? Cuz I have a feeling I know what your answer is going to be. What shouldn't happen next? Um well, I I don't think that you make any crazy decisions and I trust me, I have it in my mentions that they need to fire the coach, and that's obviously not going to happen. So that that needs to stop because it's they're not going to fire a coach 14 games into a pretty massive rebuild. So that's the one thing that shouldn't happen. Um, anything else, though, is on the table at this point uh, because that was really bad, and there's nothing really that, bad. There, there's nothing that you can say. And I try to be as positive as as you can be about a lot of this stuff, just because you know the situation and you know that the expectations were so low coming into this season. But there's nothing that you can say to make what has happened the last two nights, you know, good. There's no positive spin that you can put on it. Uh, they had a stretch in the second quarter yesterday. Okay, great. Uh, they had like a two-minute stretch in the third quarter tonight where they looked okay. And then they got hit with a 20-0 run. I mean, there, there's nothing good that you can say. There's nothing good that comes out of these two games. Um, you just got to try and figure out a way to to be competitive. And um, the focus hasn't been there. The, the attention to detail hasn't been there. And that's the same stuff that we've been talking about really since the first game. And it doesn't feel like that stuff is getting any better here 14 games in. And 14 games isn't a lot. It's only been a few weeks at this point. But um, you'd like to see a little bit of improvement. They had a, a stretch where the turnovers were a little bit better. And then they played against a couple of teams that are, you know, Phoenix really likes to pressure the ball. That gave them all sorts of trouble last night. Memphis is super athletic. That gave them all sorts of trouble tonight. Uh, and so it, it kind of feels like, the road trip was okay. Uh, they competed in a couple of games. They had a chance to beat a couple of really good teams. Um, and then they've just taken steps back uh, over the last week or so. So I, I think that that's a little bit disappointing. So I agree with you on your first point. Steven Silas should not lose his job. That said, I don't know if you'll keep it because I, I, it's really hard to predict these situations. Like, I remember when I was when I was shocked that Earl Watkins lost his job like five or seven games into the season. I don't know. It was really short. And it was like 
of course the Suns were going to be bad that year. Everybody knew that, but he just lost his job out of nowhere because owners get impatient. Uh, you know, the stuff is real. To, like, they're trying to sell tickets. They're trying, like, there's a lot of factors that go into this other than the cold, hard basketball stuff, which is like, you're right. They're, they're early into a rebuild. He has four years on his contract. And you really you can really only change like if you have a star prospect, right? Which we don't know if they have one yet, but like if they do, you can really only change coaches on that star prospect twice in his career lifespan. If you if you plan on keeping him, you only get to use that bullet twice. Uh, after that, you rarely see the star stay around. So you don't want to be one of those organizations that constantly cycles coaches in and out, right? You don't want to become the Kings. You want to have some stability there. And that's why I'm always like firing the coach midway through the season has to be a last resort. And by the way, it's not like like Rockets fans are going to be satisfied if they fire the coach. They're going to hire John Lucas as the interim coach. And he's not they're not going to hire a new head coach until the end of the season. I remember how Rockets fans reacted when John Lucas was a finalist for this job. It wasn't positive. They were they were all exclusively rooting for Silas to keep it. And that's kind of what's going to happen. Like Lucas is going to get the job. And that's they're not going to do anything for another sixty games, so like nothing's really going to change, and it really makes the situation even more awkward. Just f- having to fire a coach uh, midway through the season, it, I I don't see how that improves the situation. That being said, it, this stuff's so unpredictable, and I don't want to I don't want to be that guy on the record that says, "Yeah, Silas is definitely keeping his job." I don't think anything's a definite at this point. Twelve game losing streaks are crazy. I, we we are both in that arena every day. It's dark. It's really dark, man. Like, especially after games, like fans get to leave the arena. We have to sit in that darkness. We have to sit and interview these coaches and these players. And like, I remember I clocked Steven Silas's post post game presser yesterday at a minute and 30 seconds. Like nobody wanted to ask that guy any questions. And we, we had to, we asked as many questions as we, as we possibly could. But then the reality, the reality is we're asking the same questions over and over again. Why are you turning the ball over so many times? Why is the defense so bad? What, you know, what's going on with Jalen Green? Why is he aggressive some games and not aggressive the other games? And like, it gets really repetitive. So like that kind of stuff weighs on an organization. So I, I don't want to make any predictions one way or the other on this yet. I, I'm going to go ahead and, and be the guy who goes on the record and says they're not firing the coach. Okay. Okay, that's uh, fine. Maybe maybe I'll be wrong ultimately, but I, I doing that would set the organization back even further than it already is. And now you're wasting a year of Jalen Green. You're wasting a year to evaluate Kevin Porter Jr. You're wasting a year to evaluate what you have in Christian Wood if you do that. And now all of a sudden you're starting over with a new coach, new system, all that stuff. It, it makes absolutely no sense to do something that drastic at this point. They hired the guy um, – Last year to coach a team that was led by James Harden and Russell Westbrook, that thing blew up, what, before they even played nine games. Now they're asking him to coach a team that just drafted four guys in the first round who are 19 years old. His starting backcourt is a combined 40 years old. Um, they're, they're playing four guys in their rotation who are 21 years old or younger. I mean, there's no reason to think that this was going to be good. And the other thing that you have to remember, obviously, it's been really bad. It's been really bad for these 12 games, the schedule has been absolutely brutal. I mean, this, you could not ask for a tougher schedule than what they've had. I mean, they've lost 12 straight games. 10 of those games have come against teams that were in the playoffs last year. The 11th. You want to read them out real quick? Do you, I don't have it in front of me. I just know they're. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I got it in front of me. They, they just lost the Grizzlies. Playoff team. They're going to be in the, they're going to be in the playoffs this year. The Suns Playoff. finals team trailblazers. Pistons, Warriors, Nuggets, Suns, Lakers, Lakers, Jazz, Mavericks, Celtics, 
And the last game they won was against the Thunder, obviously. Yeah, so, so like a, that, that, a lot that, that, of really good teams there. So those are that those are ten games against teams that were in the playoffs last year. Golden State is the eleventh team. They weren't in the playoffs, but they're eleven and two at this point. And then the Pistons, that's that's the one bad loss uh in that stretch. So I, I don't know. Obviously, you would hope that they would be a little bit more competitive, at least in these last few games, but they had a chance to beat the Lakers in LA. They had a chance to beat Denver. They had a lead in the fourth quarter against Phoenix. So I mean, it hasn't been good. It hasn't, you know, the last three, four games have been bad. Um, but there were some positive signs in that in the stretch before. So um, I, again, they're not going to make some sort of crazy rash decision uh, after 14 games. Um, there's no reason to do it, and it would just it would set them back further than they already are at this point. And it just you don't want to be in the same breath as the Phoenix Suns firing Earl Watson and whatever the Kings do. That's not the club that you want to be in. You have to let this team grow. You have to let this team breathe. You have to let the season go a little bit. And, you know, you evaluate after the season. You see if, if there's some improvement when the season ends, then great. And you you have your coach moving forward. If there's not, then you have a conversation. But and the other thing, you think Tillman Fertitta is going to pay Steven Silas to not coach? I, I don't see that happening. Yeah, I mean, listen, I, I'm just saying the, this league is unpredictable. I mean, you, you want to talk about cheap owners. I mean, the Suns have a cheap owner. Right, like it's not like it's not like it's unprecedented for a cheap owner to fire his fire also, his head coach. But also, he wanted him to fire the agent, according to that. Sure, yeah, yeah. We heard more backstory. That's fair. We heard more backstory just yeah. recently on what happened there. But my point is, like, this stuff is super unpredictable, predictable, man. Like, it's just is one guy gets impatient and in a high enough seat, and it's over. That's just how it works. Even if Stone doesn't want to pull the trigger, like I remember. I remember when the Rockets fired Kevin McHale. Daryl did not want to pull the trigger. Leslie Alexander did that. Let, let me stop because it's very different. It's a very different situation. Sure, but 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 the, what I'm saying is like one guy in a seat in a position of power is all it takes. It it doesn't have to necessarily be the general manager. It doesn't necessarily have to make sense because that firing at at that time didn't make sense either. But that that's Les Alexander who had been in the league for 20 years or whatever it was had hired and fired many coaches before. This is Tillman Fertitta's first head coach hire since he's taken over the team. You doesn't don't want that to, make, doesn't that make him more of a loose cannon? He's, he's the no, first time owner in his no, third but, year in the NBA or fourth yeah, year, whatever, because you don't want to admit that you screwed that up. Not this early. It makes no sense. And then, okay, I fire the guy 14 games or whatever into really the first year of a pretty massive rebuild. Who in the hell is going to want to come work for me now? How many coaches are going to be pumped up to work for the guy who just fired his coach after 14, 15, 20 games into the first, you know, 14 games or 20 games, whatever, into a massive rebuild? I don't think people understand just how massive this rebuild is. I mean, they were they were in the second round of the playoffs two years ago. There's basically two guys left from that team, and neither one of them start. So it, it's bad, but... I don't, I don't know what people expected when they're playing against the best teams in the NBA right now. You know, may, obviously you don't want to lose by 34 or whatever it was tonight, and you don't want to be uncompetitive against Phoenix last night, but those games are going to happen when you have a team that's this young and they're, they've been thrown into it the way that they have. And as an owner and as management, if you can't be patient through that, then who is going to want to work for you? So, but, um, but 
that said, this isn't this is it's not like this is his first multi-game losing streak, right? He lost twenty games in a row last season. That is like like well, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me finish. Let me finish. I know a lot of people are gonna say, and maybe you believe this too. Last season didn't count. It was a crazy year. The rebuild got thrust upon a mid-season, no training camp, whatever. I get that. It's still on the resume. People still remember that. We're asking questions about that twenty-game losing streak right now in these pressers. So that's still something that is going to go into the calculus, whether we believe it should or not. Like, here's what I'll say. And I said this last season, and I I gave Silas a break too. I have not seen any evidence to suggest that he is a fantastic head coach or a great head coach. I I just haven't seen it yet. That's not saying he's a bad head coach or incompetent or whatever. My kind of feel right now, just reading the tea leaves, is, is it's a guy who's not ready. But that being said, he just may, he might be ready next year. He might be ready the year after. Who knows? But I, I'm just saying, I haven't seen any evidence to, to suggest that he is a great head coach. The rotations make a little uh, make me a little confused at times watching them. I don't know. I don't know why they're making some of the decisions they're making, and we're going to talk about that in a second. Um, yeah, it just, I just haven't seen it yet. I just haven't seen any reason to suggest that he is a great head coach. No, and he hasn't given you a reason to. Um, so I'm not going to sit here and say that he's a great head coach because I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. And I probably won't know the answer to that for months and months and months down the road. Uh, but I also, at the same time, I can't tell you he's a bad head coach either. And anyone who tells you that Steven Silas is a bad head coach is just making some sort of a reactionary opinion. And that I try not to do that sort of stuff. I don't know if I always succeed in that, but I'm not going to sit here and say he's a bad head coach based on what they did tonight or based on what they've done the first 14 games of one of the most extensive rebuilds that you know we've seen in the NBA, at least here in a long time. So I'm going to reserve it and I'm going to give him time to, to do the job. And I want to see if this team gets better. If this team isn't better a month from now, then that's another discussion. If this team isn't better two months from now, that's another discussion. But I want to give them the opportunity to grow uh, he's been put in a position where he's got his point guard is 21 years old and still learning how to play the position. His starting two guard is 19 years old and uh, a little further away than I think that people probably realized, including me, when he was drafted. So it's going to take some time. Uh, it's going to take a lot of time. Yeah, the the comparison I'd make is like he's a really bright guy. Like he's you know talking to him. The guy knows basketball, right? Like like whenever whenever we speak to him, we always get eloquent answers. We always get a lot of detail. Um, really great interview. And like I haven't seen anything that suggests that he doesn't know basketball. It kind of reminds me of JB Bickerstaff, where like JB Bickerstaff got the job and it felt like he wasn't ready, and it felt like he needed to bounce around the league a little bit before before he finally found his spot in Cleveland. And now he looks like he's ready. The Cavs are like what nine and four right now, fourth in the Eastern Conference. That looks like a good head coach right now, and that's kind of what I how I feel when I watch Stephen Silas. I feel like I'm watching JB Bickerstaff from a few years ago, a guy who's just waiting over his head. But let's start. Let's start talking about some things they could do to, to make the team better, right? Let's talk about what what can happen next. I think the obvious one here is changing the starting lineup. They're starting these first quarters horrendously. They're they're the last time I checked. You know, NBA.com hasn't updated their data yet for these lineups. The last time I checked, their starting lineup is a negative twenty three per one hundred possessions. That is god awful. One of the worst lineups in the NBA right now. It never made sense why they started Daniel Tice next to Christian Wood. I, I think Christian Wood's a center. I've always thought that. I, I said that before the season. The floor spacing's weird. Their their offensive rating is like eighty point 
three or per 100 possessions or something like that. It's terrible. And a part of it is is the floor is so cramped. Like there's not a lot of shooting there. And I think if you move Christian Wood to the center and you bring in someone like Alperin Shangun, who I think is talented enough to start. I think the guy has been talented enough to start for a while. And I guess this is, this is a great part to include you in the conversation because people are sending me screenshots, Adam, of your tweet. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, people are sending me screenshots of your Those tweet. people who like me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I think Shangun's awesome, man. I think he's one of the best players on the team. I, I really do. I think he's like, after Eric Gordon and Christian Wood, I can't think of a basketball player on this team that is better than him. And it's not like a rookie versus veteran thing. Like, like a lot of times, people on Twitter, they get all caught up on like, why aren't they playing the young guys more? I don't think this is one of those situations. Uh, my, when I watch this, I'm like, why aren't they playing the better basketball more? Right? Why aren't they playing the better basketball player more? Like, I, it's, I think Shingun is clearly better than Daniel Tice. He's clearly better than Jay Sean Tate. I think he belongs in the starting unit. Like, he's one of their best players. And I think that's that's probably the key. That's probably one thing they could do. They could also in, like slide in Eric Gordon into their starting unit. Like, Eric Gordon probably from a basketball perspective should have started at the uh, at the beginning of the season. He probably should have got the starting spot. But they're 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 not just trying to win basketball games. They're also trying to develop guys, which is why John Wall is not out there, right? They're clearly putting a lot of stock into Kevin Porter Jr. and Jalen Green, right? They clearly believe in that backcourt and I guess we can talk about whether we believe it later on, but that's why that's why Eric Gordon's not out there. Otherwise, he deserves to be out there. But those two guys are the clear front runners right now to me to step into that starting lineup. What's your take on that right now? I think that they would have put Shingun in the starting lineup tonight if Gordon were healthy. And um, I, I and I'm, I'm with you. I, I think that Shingun should be starting at this point, um, just because the numbers are the numbers, and that five man unit is just not good together. And that five man unit probably needs to be broken up. But I, you talk, I think the one thing, and, and I asked Silas about this and I actually, I, I think he might've answered, said this uh, in response to somebody else, but he didn't want to make a reactionary move, a rash move after last night. And I, I think the one thing, and, and people were upset that he didn't change the lineup tonight. I think that there's a lot that goes into the equation when you, change a starting lineup the way that I think they probably will uh, for Wednesday night in Oklahoma city. If you take um, Shingun off the bench and you put him in the starting lineup, you have to reconfigure the rest of your rotation. And with Gordon not playing yeah. tonight, where are you getting points when it comes to that second unit? And, and so I think that was part of the equation of why they didn't change the starting lineup for tonight's game is because they needed someone who could, you know, who you could kind of give the ball to with that second group. Because if now all of a sudden you're putting in Tice uh, with that second group and you don't have Shingun and you don't have Gordon, I have no idea where the offense comes from. And, and so... Can I respond to that really quick? Well, hang on. Let me let me just say... Sure. Yeah, yeah. When you, so you put you, you, you put Shingun in the, in the starting lineup, you move Tice to the bench, then that just puts a whole lot of other dominoes that you have to try and figure out. And so, you know, the one thing with Silas, he's he's very uh he he puts a lot of time into figuring out who's going to play with who and that's something that he says that he spends hours trying to figure out each day and without Gordon tonight he just didn't have the time to kind of figure out how to make that work without Gordon and Shengun on that in in that second unit if that makes sense 
True story. Silas once invited me into his office to look at rotations with him. Like, I, and he said it kind of off the cuff. I think you were there, but like, but like, he does like look at all the data, look at all the film and all that stuff. He does put a lot of time into that stuff. Uh, I still, I just, I never agreed with the Tice and Wood combo from the beginning of the season. That's one decision I, I I'm still scratching my head about. But uh, to to respond to what you just said there, the second unit is a luxury conversation, man. It just is when when your starting units are this bad. You, that's, but you, you can't just throw away those minutes because your starter your starters are only going to play what sixteen minutes together. So but those are some of the most important well, sixteen yeah, minutes. Yeah, obviously the game. there's sixteen minutes, but you still got to figure out the other thirty two. And so I, you can't just throw away the other thirty two to to figure out the sixteen. So. Uh, I, I do think that he wanted some more time to think and to figure out exactly how moving Shingun into the starting lineup impacts everything else. And without, and now, you know, they will likely have Gordon on, uh, on Wednesday. So he's got a day and a half or whatever to figure out exactly how he wants to, to, to handle everything rotation wise. But yeah, I, I do think that you will see Shingun in the starting lineup. I don't think it would have, it wouldn't have mattered tonight. I mean, they're not winning the game tonight because Alperin Shingun is starting. Daniel Tice is coming off the bench. So um, you just got to try and figure it out. And uh, I would expect a starting lineup change going into Wednesday night's game. And there's, there's one other move that I think they could make that I'm sure we'll get to in a second. Yeah. There's an elephant in this whole conversation that we're just kind of assuming will happen. And it's kind of, I kind of want to ask you, is it kind of a red flag that we're kind of, when we talk about Eric Gordon coming into the starting unit, we're kind of penciling in Jalen Green coming off the bench? Like, is, is that kind of a red flag for how he's kind of performed this season? Uh, no, I mean, he hasn't been good. I don't think that anyone would try and convince you that he's been good this season. I think that he's further, I think I said this earlier in the podcast, I, I think that he's a little further away than people realized when they drafted him. Uh, I, I don't know if, he might be even a little further away than they thought uh, he he's, was. He's, he's further away than I thought for sure. Yeah. So I, I don't think that's, that's great, but I mean, the talent's there. It's just, it's going to take a little bit more time than I think people realize. And I do think, and I guess we can go ahead and say, it, I, I think he would benefit from coming off the bench. Um, I think it takes some of the pressure off. Uh, I think that it would help him to not have to, to go against second unit guards instead of having to play, to play, against the best guards in the NBA. Um, I think the dropping competition would probably help him a little bit just to help him build some confidence. And you brought this up to him um, after tonight's game. He got going a little bit in that second quarter. And the way that they have the rotation set up is that he will come out a little earlier in the first quarter, kind of the midway point of the first quarter, and then he'll come back into the game. And then he gets to play against some second unit guards. And I, I think that the second quarter today... He's playing against the Memphis second unit, I believe, and that's when he had the most success. That's when he had his most success was against that second unit. I think his best game of the year was against Detroit. Detroit is the worst team that they played on the schedule over this 12-game stretch. He was very good in that game. Uh, I don't think that there's a coincidence that his best game came against the worst team that they played against. So I don't think it would hurt him to just drop down a little bit in competition. He's still going to get his minutes. He's still going to develop, but there's no need for him to have to go up against Devin Booker and Chris Paul uh, whenever he's out on the floor. I don't think that helped him. I don't think that helped him develop on Sunday having to do that. I mean, Devin Booker could not wait to go against him. So he's, he's extraordinarily talented. He's going to be very good in this league. It's just going to take some time. And I do think they need to take a little bit of the pressure off of him. Yeah. I mean, I've said this in the past two podcasts, like I'm not panicking about Jalen green. 
Like I, the, the only the only thing I can take away now, solidly, is that he is more of a project than I thought he was. I've seen enough flashes of him to to still believe that there's an all star in there somewhere. Um, and you know, you brought up the whole coming off uh, the bench conversation, right? And like, I don't think it's a coincidence that some of his best minutes are like playing with the running units, right? Like playing without a without two playing with just one big instead of two bigs, like clogging up the lane. Like he seems to play better when he's playing more inside out, like attacking the basket and then letting the jump shot come afterwards. Right. Like he seems to get more in a rhythm when he's like, he gets out in fast break or he attacks the basket. He drives, gets to the free throw line and then the jump shot comes. Right. Like, I think, I think it's kind of a red flag when he's some of his best games of the season are just him making three pointers. Yeah. Yeah. I honestly, I think he's better when they play a little bit slower. And he's able to to kind of, to get the switches that he wants. You know, I think what was so encouraging about the game against Detroit last week was that you know they played a little bit slower. Um, he was able to get switched onto bigs, and he just he just dusted them every chance that he got, and he started to recognize that a little bit. And so I think that's been a little bit beneficial to him is that when he has time and when he's able to get the matchup that he wants, he's able to take advantage of it, and he just hasn't necessarily been able to do that enough. I think he plays a little bit too fast. Uh, you saw he had the one turnover in transition tonight where uh, he was in the open floor. He dribbled it off of his foot and that turned into a three uh, the other way. So I think a lot of, I think they might play a little too fast to be honest with you. I think it's great to get out in transition, but I do think at times it would probably help them to slow things down, catch their breath and just not try. And not only does it slow your eyes down and, and, and your brain down a little bit, well, it slows down your eyes. It slows down your brain. And you're not trying to make these, you know, these quick decisions that they just aren't ready for just because they haven't seen it yet on an NBA floor. So um, it's, I, I think what they, I believe they lead the league in pace right now. I don't think it would hurt them to slow it down just a little bit. Yeah. You know, it's funny, a uh, friend of the podcast, mutual friend of ours, Ali Khan Bajani finally showed up to work yesterday. Um, you know, first game to the Toyota center in 14 games. Congratulations, Ali Khan Bajani. But uh, he asked a, a really good question uh, yesterday. And it was like, it was what you talked about. Like, could this team benefit from slowing down and running more plays, more running more set plays and kind of organizing the offense more? I think it's true. I think they can. I think especially because Shingun is just so good at operating in the high post. And he's clearly the best passer on this basketball team. Like, it's not it's not even close. Like, I don't the gap between him and the second best passer is massive. I don't even know who the second best passer is. I just know that he is the best. And when they play through him, they're just so much more organized. They're so much more focused. They're so much more diligent about what they do. Christian Wood's cutting the basket. Three-point shooters are suddenly getting open. Um, You know, like that kind of stuff happens when they're playing in a half-court pace. And, you know, like I think they're just not, as a team, they're just not high enough as an, you know, basketball IQ-wise to be running, right? Like so some teams are just instinctual with what they do in fast-break situations. They're not. They, They are... Oftentimes, very clueless. Uh, some of these plays with Kevin Porter Jr. running the fast break are just really hard to watch. Really well, hard to watch. You know, though he's he's a good passer, but he's just moving too fast, and he you know he's he's moving faster than the game is moving, and I think that's why his turnovers have been as high as they are. And I want to make one other point too, because I asked this question: if, if Rocket Twitter would just basically blow up if the lineup change that Silas elected to make was to go with with uh with gordon and, and have green go to the bench and i mean you, you've seen it i mean the the they the fans they they want 
they want green in the starting lineup. And like I said, I don't think it's necessarily helping him right now. And the other thing is it's not a bad thing. If he goes to the bench, I mean, Kobe Bryant started his career on the bench. That worked out pretty well. Zach Levine. Zach Levine started his career on the bench. James Harden started his career on the bench. I, it, it gives you the opportunity to grow a little bit. I mean, green is he's 19. He's a very young 19. Um, I don't necessarily think the G league helped him last year develop and, that's a whole other topic for for another day. Just because, <laughs> be careful, Adam. Be careful. Just, well, the G League was just it was just very unstructured basketball, and I, I don't know necessarily if that helped him a lot. I, I think it it helped him to play NBA rules. It helped him to play kind of that NBA style. But you know, Brian Shaw is in charge of your development. I mean, there's not a whole lot of proof that Brian Shaw knows how to develop NBA players. Uh, I think what they had to Andrew Bynum when he was with the Lakers. That's about it. So I, but yeah, that's a whole other thing. So, um, yeah, I just, he's got to grow a little bit and you guys, there's got to be a little bit of patience, uh, with him, not just from the fan base, but with the organization. So don't throw too much at him, I guess is the point. And it's not like he's not going to play. He's still going to play a ton of minutes. He's going to play 20, 25, 30 minutes on most nights. And if you, if there's one night where he's only playing 19, that's okay. James Harden played, I think. 20 minutes as a rookie. I was looking at it today. He wasn't playing 35 minutes a game as a rookie. He developed just fine. Sometimes you have to, sometimes these guys need to be paced out a little bit different. And I just, he just, it just doesn't look like he's necessarily as ready as we thought all thought he is. Whereas Shengun is, I mean, Shengun's yeah. ready for, for, to, to carry the extra load, I think. Yeah. Like it's, it's crazy how that ended up happening. Like I, I just thought, you know, I, I was a part of this group that thought that Jalen Green would be more NBA ready because he played in the G League. Like, in fact, that was kind of the selling pick point for me, and that's why I, part of the reason I had him at number four on my board is like, like I thought he would be. He, he looked his game looked more polished, right? Like, while just watching the film, like he had a lot of polish to him, especially in the summer league. Like, he had veteran moves out there, right? He had the crab dribble down. He had these slow, you know, half court moves, like really, you know, in his bag, and like. It just seems like he's he's gonna have to slow down, play with the bench units, and he's you know just not ready. I, I don't think it really did much for him to be in the G League. Maybe you know maybe it's 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 still it's still a pretty good path for players coming into the NBA just because you lock in some money, some financial security for yourself. But like it's just it's just um, it, I don't think it did anything for him. Um, another adjustment they could make, and I guess you can agree or disagree with this. I don't think Kevin Porter Jr has had a good start to the season. And I think some of their best stretches are like when when Silas decides, you know what, like he made a boneheaded mistake. I'm just going to yank him. Like I'm going to treat him like any other player on the roster when they make mistakes and I'm going to yank him. And sometimes he's hesitant to do that. Sometimes he gets a little more freedom than I think he you know, has earned. I thought some of their best stretches of basketball tonight were when he got pulled and he got back in. He was playing better. Like sometimes that's okay. I think... Um, you know, Silas is, he's still developing his sea legs a little bit as a coach in, in terms of the substitution patterns and like just kind of having a voice, having like an author- authoritative voice out there. And I think it's okay to bench players when they're playing bad. It doesn't matter how much the organization is invested in their success. What really matters is like, listen, man, you're on a 12 game losing streak. You got to like do what you got to do to win games. If that, t- if that means playing more Josh Christopher, if that means playing more DJ Augustine, whoever the hell you want to put in that spot, KJ Martin, you got to do that. 
you you, you got to be able to like swap make adjustments on the fly like that but i mean that's just the problem with the roster construction is that the only real nba point guard right now is augustine and then you have josh christopher who's not ready to run an nba offense and he shouldn't be expected to be ready to run an nba offense he played one year of college ball and so it's a whole other world you know playing college basketball to, to playing point guard in the nba and <laughs> that's the problem when you basically just shelve John Wall is that there's nobody else. And um, the the way they handled the Wall situation was kind of strange. I, I guess I understood it to a point, but it, it is hurting them competitively. And having Wall out there would help. And I think that he would, if they could play on the floor, be on the floor with him, these young guys, I think it would only help them because it would just help them get organized to have you know a real NBA point guard uh, who's been played at a really high level in this league. I, I don't, they're not going to do it, obviously, you know, they made the decision with wall and it seems like that's the decision that they're going to stick with. But I mean, that's, they put the offense, they handed the offense to a 21 year old who is really learning how to play the position. And they're going to be a lot of growing pains that come with it. And they've just, they've got to be ready for them. And that's basically what the season is going to be. Um, and so it's kind of another discussion point with Silas, they this they haven't really put him in a in a position to succeed this season, and that's just the way it's going to be. I mean, let's go. Let's go ahead and, and say, like, like what, what is your ideal starting lineup? Like, let's say, like you know, in, o- in Oklahoma City, like, what lineup are you throwing out there? Uh, I would go Wood, Shangun, Tate, Gordon, and Porter. That would be my five. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. Same same thing. I I, I have the same five down there. Um, I just think you know, Eric Gordon's just the best guard of the team. Right, he's second. He's probably the second best player on the team. Period. It's probably going to be better to start games to have your your two best players out there, uh, and, and, and in case of Shingun, your third best player out there as well. And he's and Gordon's just steady, and yeah. he's seen everything. And the game's not going to be too fast for him. Uh, and he, he's although sometimes he, he he is too fast for the game. Well, yeah, he, he's he, he makes mistakes. He makes plenty of mistakes, but um, it's he's he's the vet and he's been there longer than anyone else has. And he's got a lot of a game, a lot of game experience. Um, you know, uh, there, there would obviously the, be the more drastic move of starting Augustine, but that's not going to happen. Uh, but there's really, they really don't have any other options. You're not going to put Tate to the bench. You know, maybe you, they decide to go small and play wood at center, but I don't think they would do that either. Cause I don't think they believe that wood can hold up, you know, physically with some bigs in the NBA. And that's why they went out to go get Tice. Um, they, they're, it's, it's a weird situation and, uh, it's just, it's been a rough, uh, it's been a rough stretch and they're just, they don't seem to have a lot of options to be honest with you. They've, you know, they, they've tried certain things, you know, they, they've played KJ Martin at the, uh, at the three a little bit. Maybe he gets some more minutes at the four. Um, but I, I don't know I'm kind of at a loss for, for what they can do, uh, to, to try and make this better, at least personnel wise. Yeah, it's it's um it's going to be really difficult. It's like there's no magic bullet here. Like the, this is what we're suggesting is merely going to make it slightly better. Uh, the second units, like as far as the solution there, I guess the best idea there is probably staggering, right? Maybe yeah. um you know pull Wood out a little earlier, pull Shingun out a little bit earlier. Uh, do, do whatever you have to do. Have one of those guys in there to lead those second units. Um, and I that's probably your best option. Um, but as far as like what this does for the trade deadline. I I, I'm, I don't want to talk about it right now, but the, all of this is progressively making the trade deadline more and more interesting for the Rockets. Uh, and that podcast is going to be 
wild. I, I, I you have any thoughts about the trade deadline? You do you want to talk about it or what, what do you think? I mean, I, I think eventually Gordon's going to get traded. I don't think there's any doubt about that. But um, you know, maybe a team uh, is interested in House. He's been bad. I mean, <laughs> so I don't know how much interest there would be in him. Or you know, I don't know if you can maybe you can maybe you can extract a a small asset out of him. Maybe you can get a pick swap. Maybe you can get a late second round pick or something like that. But I, I don't know if there's much there. I mean, it, it's not a hard contract to trade. Um, Gordon has been effective for the most part when he's played. So the fact that you, you would like for him to be healthy and to be able to stay healthy at this point, but I don't see necessarily any veterans that would draw a ton of interest from teams. Maybe would. I mean, I, yeah, I, think that's, I mean, that's the big that's, one, right? That That's the, the bigger conversation to have. And that's one that we can kind of have later. As, as yeah. I, I don't want to have it right now. I just, I just wanted to just kind of tease it. Cause that's uh, that podcast is going to be in a few weeks and well, it, it's it, getting it, progressively more interesting for me. It's out there. And I think I floated that uh, before the draft about possibly moving wood. Um, but I don't know. Uh, and once they make those moves, then <laughs> this thing's not ne- going to necessarily get any better. Uh, Gordon is basically there. The, the one guy that they can you know somewhat rely on at least with the guards and so you lose that bullet then you know I don't know what else there is um obviously wall is not going to get traded no one's taking that at this point I don't think anyone will get desperate enough to do that but you never know but yeah that's just uh that that's where things are kind of bleak um is that they, they got to try and, and get through this as best they can yeah side conversation like if Josh Christopher and Usman Garuba aren't going to play more than 10 minutes a game send them to the G League I I don't really know why, especially in the case of Garuba, just because what he's the fifth big man at this point. So, uh, and obviously um, the Vipers don't play. I I think they're off for like a week. So, I mean, so that's why Garrison Matthews was brought up. Uh, So I I do think at least Garuba will go down at some point. I think Christopher, they, they like giving him a look. And I, I do think it's beneficial for him to at least practice with the NBA roster so that they can, you know, so that Silas and, and John Lucas and, and Luke's crew can at least be around him and help him out there. And, and again, they've they've tried to get him a few more minutes. Um, but yeah, I do think that'll probably happen at some point. I don't, I just don't know when. But you know, they they don't have a lot of depth at that position. And you saw it like tonight, where you know Porter gets hurt, and now all of a sudden you got two point guards on the roster, and one of them is nineteen and still learning how to play the position. They played, I think. 13 or 14 guys tonight that's just too much like like if you if if you want guys to get in a rhythm like that's not the solution you got to have like you got to trim that thing down to eight to ten like and and so obviously everyone's gonna play i mean sorry i'm I'm sorry what'd you say they lost by a hundred so everyone's gonna play on a night like tonight sure but 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 in general like the the rotation's just too long Uh, i think he's been better with his rotations uh actually you look back on it the three games that they just played at toyota center uh, basically the rotations were the same for all three games where they basically played nine nine guys and then they kind of would stretch it out to 10 with either Christopher or Augustine. It would be Christopher for a few minutes in, in the first half and then depending on the situation, it would be Augustine uh, in, in the fourth quarter to kind of uh, give them a little bit of flow offensively. But I, I think they've gotten a little bit better with that. Um, but you know, for the most part, they're playing nine guys. Sometimes they'll stretch it out to 10, obviously. Uh, today was a little weird and, and last night was a little weird just because of all the garbage time but it's yeah. not like going into it every night saying yeah we're gonna play 13 yeah I, i'm sure he's not uh but it is uh 
I just feel like the Christopher and Garuba thing. I think it's just wasting everyone's time if he's, if they're not going to play. Just go ahead and send them to the G League. It's it's fine. That's perfectly normal for those guys to play thirty minutes a game in the G League, and like that's I think it's a better use of their development. Um, but whatever. Like the, that, that that's, that's a question for for Wednesday, and but I, I do think that there is some value to having them practice with the NBA team and spend some time with John Lucas and. And that's a pretty good player development staff. I think that they have, so I don't think it hurts them to to be with them, even if they're not going to play. Uh, they're going to get a ton of game action. But Christopher's gotten a little bit. He played 15 minutes last night. Uh, I think. Let me see how many minutes did he play tonight. He got uh, 10 minutes tonight. So I mean, that's not a ton, but it's something, and it's on an NBA floor in an NBA game. So that can't hurt. I don't think it helps. <laughs> um... But it is what it is. That's that's an entirely different conversation. Um, yeah, I mean this is this is going to be really interesting. This is going to be a really interesting. Um, what is it? Seventy two hours uh, for the Rockets. Uh, some really, really. I, I don't want to say stressful um, days for the Rockets because I don't think I I don't think they're, they're going to make the solidest move now if that happens. But uh, the, I, I I want I'm interested to see what lineup they throw out there against Oklahoma City. I think that that's probably the, the first big domino to drop and the first big thing we'll see. Yeah, for sure. Um, and like I said, I, I think that you will see changes. I think that you would have seen the change for tonight if it weren't for the Gordon injury. I think the Gordon injury kind of messed up their plans a little bit, though. I don't think it was a big surprise that Gordon didn't play tonight. I, I would be surprised if he plays back-to-backs at this point. Yeah, he, he is in a... I've never seen him be this open to us like like in terms of these open these press conferences he is very open about uh this team not being what he wanted he wants it to be <laughs> and uh he, he he looks like he wants to get the hell out of here well he he knows the situation and yeah. he knows where he, I mean, he's gonna be 33 in what six weeks or so um so he he knows where things... i think he's 33 right now he might be let me see no it's it's he's his birthday is on christmas day it's christmas day 88 is his dob Okay. He's got about six weeks until he, he gets to 33 and he knows where he's at in his career and he knows he's running out of time. And, you know, when he signed the extension, he thought he was signing an extension to be on a team that was going to compete for a title. And obviously that's not it at this point. So I think he's just biding his time at this point. He, he seems, he's been a good teammate. Uh, I, I do think it's helpful to have him on the roster because he is a pro and he's been in this league for a very, very long time. And he's been a good player for a very long time. Um, and you just kind of hope that he can at least help them a little bit on the floor for as long as he's around, which I don't, you know, I think obviously the big day is a month from now on December 15th. And that's when more guys are able to be traded. And so I think that's when you start the Gordon trade watch is the 15th. Yeah. That's when all those contracts get to be traded. Um, well, Adam, this was really good. We did this all improvisational, right? Like we, we did this, we wanted, I wanted to really feel how we would feel after the game. Right. And I think we did a good job here. Um, where can we find your work and where can we find yourself on social media? Uh, sportsradio610.com and at Adam Spillane. Thank you so much for coming on. Sure.